Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning to Hebrews chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 7, and we're hoping to look at verses 11 through 28 this morning, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. For those of you that are new to us at Grace, welcome, thank you so much for being here this morning and joining our family. Perhaps you came this morning and you don't have a hard copy of the Word of God. We want to provide one for you, so if you look under the chairs in front of you, there should be a uh, copy of God's Word. And in that Bible, it's on page 944, 944 Hebrews chapter 7, verse 11 through 28. And if you don't have a copy of the Bible, please take that home. That is our gift to you. We want everyone to have a copy of God's Word, and we want you to know that everything we do here comes from God's Word. We gladly submit to it. As we've been walking through this letter or this series of sermon notes to the Hebrews, to Jewish Christians, we have been reminded that the author wants to set Jesus Christ up in front of his audience as superior to the belief system, the worldview that they have left behind. He is the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. He is the author of the Old Testament. He is superior to Moses and Abraham and angels and the law and so many of these realities that had been a part of their life prior to coming to faith in him. And so he wants to continually put that in front of them. And one of the ways that he's doing that for us is here in Hebrews chapter 7. Finally, after a excursus halfway through chapter 5 and all of chapter 6, to sort of remind his audience that they need to uh, get up to speed in a spiritual maturity way, he's able to continue his argumentation that Christ's priesthood and Christ as high priest is better than the entire Levitical priesthood, the priesthood of Aaron and his sons. But how he does it in verses 11 through 28 is a little different than how we would normally lay things out. Typically, if we're making an argument for something, logically, we, we go chronologically. There's this, and then there's this, and then there's this, and therefore, there's this. But in true Jewish fashion, the argumentation here is more from a Jewish mindset, a Jewish worldview, and a better appreciation for it. In an attempt to illustrate this, perhaps we need to go to the deep philosophical arguments that take place in the back seat of the car as you're on a family road trip. All of us, no doubt, remember that from our own childhood. And perhaps recently during spring break, some of you that took long road trips, this will bring back fond or not so fond memories. As parents, we attempt to make everything fair, by which that means that no child believes that any other child has something that they don't have. This, of course, is an impossible task, but it's, no, it's one that we do set ourselves to. Inevitably, somewhere along the road trip, some child has something that another child does not have. Perhaps their Happy Meal had a different toy than the other child or something along the lines. Despite our best efforts, some child has something, a book, a toy, something that the other child wants. 
I don't know if you know this, but there's a chasm of difference between seeing something and looking at something. This is deep philosophy, right? Child one, I want to see that. Child two, well, you can look at it, but you can't see it. Any, anybody else been here? Am I, am I tracking? All right. Apparently, looking exclusively involves the eyeballs, whereas seeing involves the hands and all the other five senses. I want to see it. You can look at it. You just can't see it. It's mine. What I want us to be able to do this morning is to see Jesus, not just look at him. Take him into our view. Draw him in close, or better, he draws us in close to see many of his perfections and a lot of the realities of him and his cross work. We don't just want to gaze from a distance. We want to see Jesus. And in rapid-fire succession, bear with me, fasten your chair belts, there's a lot of material to get through this morning. We want to see Jesus from all these different angles, and hopefully we'll walk out of here this morning with a greater and deeper appreciation for who he is. As noted at the top of the service in the video, many in the nation of Israel viewed Jesus in a singular way. He was going to be their Messiah, by which they meant he was going to remove their Roman overlords and set up the Jews as the ruling nation of the world. They viewed him almost singularly as a warrior king. They did not see him as the suffering servant. There's many angles to seeing Jesus, and the author of Hebrews in this section gives us some of those. So follow along with me, if you would, as I read in your hearing this morning, Hebrews chapter 7, verses 11 through 28. Now, if perfection had been attainable through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need would there have been for another priest to arise after the order of Melchizedek, rather than one named after the order of Aaron? For where there is a change in the priesthood, there is necessarily a change in the law as well. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe from which no one has ever served at the altar, for it is evident that our Lord was descended from Judah, and in connection with that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. This becomes even more evident when another priest arises in the likeness of Melchizedek, who has become a priest, not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. For it is witnessed of him, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness, for the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. And it was not without an oath. For those who formerly became priests were made such without an oath, but this one was made a priest with an oath by the one who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. 
For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 22 is the key to this section of this chapter. Jesus is the guarantor, the one who gives us confidence of, the one who proves the fulfillment of the promise of a better covenant. That better covenant described for us in Jeremiah 31, to which the author points his attention and ours in chapter 8, which we will look at next Sunday on Easter Sunday. But for now, he wants us as a preliminary uh, means to look at this guarantor of a better covenant from all of these different angles. So follow with me, if you would, and let us see Jesus this morning. The title of the sermon is Presence because the deeper reality here is not just the perfection of Christ, but that the perfection of Christ allows us to be brought into the presence of God and for his presence to be with us. This ought to blow our minds on a regular basis. So in the first place, then perfection is needed to enter God's presence. We know this from our long walk through the book of Leviticus. How does a holy God park himself in the middle of an unholy people? How can the presence of God be in the middle of the nation of Israel? They are unrighteous and he is righteous. They are unholy and he is holy. He is represented by the cloud and by the pillar of fire. How can unholy, unrighteous, unclean people be in the presence of God? And there is a whole list of rules and regulations and protocols and procedures and sacrifices. So we're aware, I hope, that perfection is needed to be in the presence of God. But notice in the first place that the law failed to bring perfection. If perfection had been attainable through this Levitical priesthood, then there wouldn't be a need for another to arise if the order of Melchizedek. But notice in parentheses, for under it the people receive the law. There's a whole legal system and a whole uh, series of duties for the priests. All of these realities. And yet what is the author's point? A point that a Jew would be hesitant to realize, but would be understanding of after some reflection, the law cannot make anybody perfect. You make a sacrifice, but then you gotta make another one. Every day, burnt offering in the morning, burnt offering in the evening. And every year on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, the high priest has to go back into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifice for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. This was a perpetual reality. It could not make anybody perfect. But perfection does change everything. And notice verse 12 is backwards to our way of thinking. We would think if there's a change in the law, then there's a change in the priesthood. But what does the author of Hebrews say? For there's a change in the priesthood, there's necessarily a change in the law as well. Remember John 1. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Where there's a new priest, the law changes as well. So this priest comes in and says, 
All of your sins are forgiven because of my sacrifice. There's no need now for perpetual sacrifices. I am perfect. I am perfection. And therefore, I can offer a perfect sacrifice once and for all. When we get to chapter 10, he sits down at the right hand of God on high. This perfect priest makes a perfect sacrifice, and therefore, perfection is now possible through him. And that changes everything. It is now based on his grace and not based on law. We can't make ourselves perfect. But there is one who can. One who became one of us. A perfect one of us. To therefore make us perfect through his sacrifice on our behalf. So while the law failed to make anything perfect, Jesus Christ is perfect and can make us perfect. And therefore perfection changes everything. Notice in the second place that perfection is not genetic. Remember the, 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 the um, in, uh, discussion and discourse between Jesus and the religious rulers in John 8? We're of our father Abraham. And Jesus says, you may be of your father Abraham by lineage and descent, but you are not of your father Abraham by faith. Because if you were of your father Abraham, you would believe me that I have been sent from God. You're actually of your father the devil. It's not genetic. Notice what it says. For the one of whom these things are spoken belong to another tribe. It's not from the tribe of Levi, and it's not in the line of Aaron. Nowhere has it said anything from the tribe of Judah that the, the Judites would be priests. So Jesus' perfect priesthood is not genetic. He does not gain this perfect priesthood because of his genetics. He gains it because of who he is. Nothing is said about anybody from Judah being a priest, only from Levi. And so it's not that Jesus is a better version or even the best version of a Levitical priest. No, he's not from the tribe of Levi at all. His priesthood is not genetic. But his perfect kingship is also not genetic. There is a sense in which it's inherited because he is in the line of David. He is from the tribe of Judah, which is mentioned here. And yet we know that his birth was of a virgin. The sin nature that comes to all of us just by being human did not pass to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, thanks be to God, so his kingship is not even genetic. Genetics are not a part of the equation. And so if you're sitting here this morning and say, well, because my parents or my grandparents are believers, therefore I am too, I need to let you know in love that is not the case. Righteousness is not because of genes. Righteousness comes through repentance and faith. God is doing something brand new with Jesus. And it's not genetic. It's not through the line of Levi or Aaron. It is something completely different. In the third place, eternality is needed in God's presence. How can those of us who are finite be in the presence of the one who is infinite? And so we see in verses 15 through 17 that there's a new priest in the likeness of Melchizedek, and notice in verse 16, he became a priest not on the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, which the author of Hebrews is going to say later on doesn't last because of death. All the priests were prevented from continuing, but notice, what is the basis of Christ's priesthood? But by the power of an indestructible life, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus is indestructible. The resurrection proves that. It's amazing to me 
that the plan of the religious leaders to get rid of the individual that called people back to life from the dead was to attempt to kill him. It's a big flaw in your plan. You can't kill an individual who can't be killed. Death cannot hold down the one who is life. Jesus Christ, yes, did die. But three days later, he rose back to life from the dead, something we celebrate every single Sunday, Resurrection Day, but we'll also celebrate next weekend. What a glorious reality that the one who is life conquered sin and its result, its penalty death for us, so we too can have hope of resurrection life. He's indestructible. He is forever, because notice he is eternal. You are a priest for how long? Psalm 110 verse 4, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Every priest could only serve for a set period of time. But Jesus serves forever. As a priest after the order of Melchizedek and on the throne of his father David because he is the fulfillment of the promise that God makes to David for Samuel 7. Jesus is indestructible. Jesus is eternal. And through him we can also have eternal life in the presence of God. Notice in the first, fourth place that perfection draws us to God. Verses 18 and 19. For on the one hand a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness for the law made nothing perfect. This is a point we've already seen in the text but it's reiterated here. You can't be made perfect through the law. Try as you might, and even if you have the bravado of the individual that comes to Jesus and says, yes, I've kept all the commandments from my youth until now. Even if that were true, which it's not, keeping the law cannot make anyone perfect. The law could not make us perfect, but Jesus Christ can. A better hope is introduced through which we draw near to God. Jesus' perfection draws us to God. We cannot be in the presence of a holy and perfect God, but in Christ we can. He is perfect on our behalf, and through him we can be drawn close to God. For many of us, even those of us who are believers, perhaps the thought of being in God's presence is not warm and inviting, it's not familial, but it is distant and cold and somewhat scary and terrifying. It should not be that way. God is our Father, Christ is our elder brother. We are brought into God's presence. His presence is in us, in the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity. And so as Jesus prayed for his disciples in John 17, Father, as we are one, that they may be one with us and with each other. What a beautiful blessing it is to be in the presence of God and have his presence with us, or it ought to be. Notice in the fifth place, God's oath assures us of his presence. This is something we went back to chapter 6 of verse 13, but again we see it here. And it was not without an oath. Now, God does not meet, need to swear oaths, as we saw back when we were in chapter 6. God is not under any obligation to make oaths to guarantee his promises. He is truth, so whatever he says is true because he is truth. And yet for our sakes, he makes oaths so that we have comfort. 
At least three times, he reiterates his promise to Abraham. Perhaps Abraham's faith was faltering, and God, knowing that, continues to tell him, Abraham, I have made a promise to you. I will bring you a son, and all the nations of the world will be blessed through him. Chapter 12 of Genesis. Then chapter 15, there's doubt, and there's been an attempt to sort of bypass God's uh, plan, and God comes back and says, Abraham, come on out. Look up to the heavens, count the stars, and if you can count them, you'll know how many descendants you will have. And then in chapter 22, which is quoted in Hebrews chapter 6, God comes to Abraham again after saving his son Isaac from the sacrifice that he had asked Abraham to make of him. And he says, I've sworn by myself, this is the promised son. And from him will come the promised son, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus' high priesthood is actually uh, solidified with an oath. He confirms his promise. He makes an oath to, to, to us. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. Psalm 110, verse 4. The author of Hebrews wrings every last possible application out of every word of one verse of Psalm 110. It's not just that Jesus lasts forever and is indestructible, but it's also that God has sworn and he cannot change his mind. Be assured, his promises are sure. And therefore, the main point of all of this is, verse 22, Jesus confirms a better covenant. Better than the way of covenants with the rainbow in the sky will not flood the world ever again. Better than the Davidic covenant, better than the Mosaic covenants, Comes the new covenant, there is coming a day, God says, well, my spirit will be in you and no longer will individuals have to teach one another my law because it'll be in their hearts. I will be with them, I will be their God and they shall be my people and we are living that today in anticipation of the full expression of it in the kingdom. What a glorious reality and Jesus then is a guarantor of a better covenant, a covenant confirmed with multiple oaths of God. Jesus then in verses 23 through 25 gives us confident hope, confident hope. There was some instability with the Old Testament priesthood. Everything had to be just right. Make sure that the priests were properly descended from Levi. They had to be clean. Just as the priesthood starts, Nadab and Abihu, two of the four sons of Aaron, are struck dead by God because they offer strange fire, as we looked at in Leviticus. Shaky. Yes, the high priest is going beyond the veil. The one person in the whole nation who can do that once a year is the sacrifice going to be accepted. Will this year be okay? There's instability in the old covenant, the old priesthood. There is no such instability in Jesus Christ's priesthood. The former priests were many in number because they're prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. His priestly ministry never ends because he is eternal. He is forever. There is no end to his high priestly ministry. Not even death can stop Jesus Christ because he rose back to life from the dead and continues as our high priest. But notice he keeps us in God's presence. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost And that does not mean over the ends of the earth, although that is also true. But in this case, what this means is save all the way. 
There is no sin that a believer in Jesus Christ cannot be forgiven of and is not forgiven of. There's no point after which God who has called someone to himself will say, I'm out, that's too much. Jesus Christ bore the full penalty of God's wrath on the cross. All of your sins, past, present, and future. He is able to save all the way those who draw near to God, the presence of God through him. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. Did you know that as you sit here this morning, there is one in the heavenlies seated beside his father who says, oh, that's, that's my girl, that's, that's one of mine. And he, he's also one of ours, Father. Yes, I know, as we started off, I know they've had a rough week. Whew, Tuesday afternoon, that was particularly bad. I know. But Father, I paid for that. I stood in the way of that and bore your full wrath, your just wrath for that. That's one of ours. He always lives to make intercession for us. His ministry didn't end at the cross. It didn't end at the resurrection. It didn't even end at the ascension. His ministry is going on right now because he's a high priest and he continually brings us into the presence of his father. Through him, we can go into the Holy of Holies and as I mentioned last time I was up here, what an amazing reality that if the Old Testament temple was still in effect, Believers in Jesus Christ could walk into the Holy of Holies any time they wanted because of him. As he said on the cross, it is finished. What happened to the veil of that temple? It split in half from top to bottom. It opened the way into the presence of his father. Through Jesus Christ the righteous, we have access to the throne of God. And lastly, Jesus then is the greatest high priest, verses 26 through 28. For indeed, it was fitting that we should have such a high priest. Notice the first word, holy. We have here a sense that in the presence of God, since Jesus is God, there is no blemish. He is in himself holy and righteous. Holy before God. Notice verse 27 expands on this. He has no need to offer sacrifice for his own sins and then for, those, uh, then for the sins of the people. He has no sin. So there's no need for Jesus to offer sacrifice for his sins. He is sinless. Therefore, there is no need for him to continually offer sacrifices for our sins because his sacrifice is once and for all perfect. Holy and accepted by God. He is the propitiation of our sins, the satisfaction for our sins. And we know that God accepted his sacrifice because he called him forth from the grave on that Sunday that we celebrate every Sunday and we'll celebrate also next weekend. He is holy before God. He is blameless before humanity, innocent, blameless. 
Notice in verse 28, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but this oath appoints a son. He is the best of any of us. All of us are weak, and even the best of us fail, but he never failed and never will fail. He is the greatest of us. He is the perfect one of us, God and man, together, Jesus Christ the righteous. There is nothing that anybody can point to and say, but see this, they tried. They tried so hard to find fault in him, and not even a pagan Roman ruler could find fault in him. What is Pilate's testimony about Jesus Christ? I find no fault in this man. Does not even have a dog in the race. Even Pilate recognized this man is blameless. And unstained. He is pure in himself. Unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heavens, made perfect forever. Our high priest is wholly innocent and unstained. He is Perfect, blameless, and pure. Jesus Christ is the greatest high priest. And if you have repented of your sins and believed in him and are trusting in him and him alone for salvation, he is your high priest this morning in the heavenlies, acting as your priests, making intercession for you, not sacrifice that's already been accomplished, but intercession you can be in the presence of God and God's presence in you because of Jesus Christ, the righteous. Here's seven quick hits just from this portion of scripture. Ways for us to see the beauty of Jesus' perfection which allows us to be in the presence of God. Which leads to our response. Do we delight to be in God's presence? Do we spend time in his presence? Do we recognize that as sons and daughters, we are always in his presence, his presence is always in us? Is that a delight to us? Do our lives look like that? The way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our money, the way that we interact with our fellow human beings, do we look like Jesus? because we delight to be in his presence. Rejoice that we are in his presence and are eternally grateful that his presence is in us. Are we truly, as Peter describes us, a peculiar people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood? Do we understand who we are because of Christ? And do we rejoice in that? This is the message of Hebrews. Don't go back. Don't go back to the former way of thinking. Don't go back to the former way of life. Don't drift, don't slide. There is one who is great and glorious and his name is Jesus Christ the righteous. He makes us perfect. A perfection that does not come because of our lineage becomes becomes because of him. He is eternal, always available, always by the right hand of the Father. That perfection draws us to God. It is confirmed by an oath, and therefore it gives us confident hope that Jesus Christ is the greatest high priest, the one that we need, the one that we worship, and the one that we adore. Let's look to him in prayer this morning.
Father, we thank you for this passage of Scripture in many ways that we can see the beauty of your Son in all of his glory, in all of his holiness. Father, may we take seriously the reality that because of him we have the opportunity to be in your presence the one that spoke all things into existence, including us, draws us in, draws us close, draws us near to guide us, to protect us, to comfort us, to admonish us, to love us. Father, may we never take your presence for granted and may we live every moment of every day with that as the reality foremost in our minds. This is my Father's world. Father, help us not to be enamored with the things that we can see, but to be in love with the one who we can't. You are more real than the things that are around us. This world is upside down. You are upside right and you are making us upside right in a topsy-turvy world. Remind us of your presence in us and our being in your presence each and every day. Father, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.